Hello everyone, this is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News podcasting today from Northern California. In this musings, I want to speak a little bit about my experiences with the whole process of authorizations or pre-authorizations, if you will, for the use of certain medications. As most of you know, pituitary endocrinology being a a rare specialty uh, for patients with rare diseases um, is associated with a lot of complex medications that are rather expensive uh, and they, they took fortunes of dollars to be able to get them approved in the first place and these companies have the right to recoup their costs of uh, drug development. So unfortunately, with a small pool of people who are um, potentially able to take these medications, the cost per patient is going to be high. That's just the way it is, and this is not true just in pituitary disorders, but true for most uh, rare disorders that uh, you might have affecting your body, uh, whether you're talking about heart disease, lung disease, some genetic condition, etc. It used to be that when a physician wrote a prescription, the drug was filled uh, by the pharmacy or a specialty pharmacy and there were no questions whatsoever. Really, since probably the late 1990s, there has been a progressive increase in the oversight of medicine. Uh, And I'm talking about medicine as a specialty, but uh, when it comes to medicines in, in particular, an oversight regarding the uh, approval, if you will, of third-party payers for certain medications that are expensive. Even though they may be life-sustaining or the right drug, uh, there uh, is oversight. And unfortunately, in this era, uh, this oversight is almost seemingly predicated on not wanting to allow physicians to use certain drugs in their patients because of expense. We run into this all the time, three or four times a day. My office is uh, evaluating one or more patients for different drugs they take. In some cases, it's a patient with two drugs that require authorization. In other cases, it's one drug per patient. But uh, we are extremely busy uh, in this process because the insurance company seems to think that they have the first right of refusal and they want to deny. They deny everything. Uh, A lot of patients contact my office and complain and argue and throw a fit with us and we really have nothing to do with it. It's your insurance company that you have a contract with that I don't have a contract with and my office doesn't contract with. And um, I think that we need to put the power into the hands of the patient to try to fix this problem over time. It's only going to get worse. It's gotten worse over the past couple of years, especially the past uh, year, it seems. I don't know if it's related to the COVID pandemic or uh, just the way uh, regulation is stepping up over time uh, and creeping up to where it's reached this point where it's absolutely frustrating. The last three prescriptions I have written for a drug called Pegvisimat for acromegaly were in patients who were going to have radiotherapy and thus are not candidates to take somatostatin analogs. But the uh, insurance company in all cases rejected it, said you have to try 
a somatostatin analog first, which is not medically indicated. And even though we put that in the initial papers in most cases, they still deny it. And we have to get on the phone and spend hours of time appealing this process to get the patient on the proper drug. I had a recent patient who was on a medication, discontinued the medication for certain reasons, and then wanted to go back on the medication. And the insurance company denied it, even though they'd paid for it before and had approved it beforehand. And it's just an example of what I'm saying is that these folks set out to deny everything that costs a bit of money and then require you to sort of reach a standard across a bar with your appeal to be able to get the approval. This is frustrating for patients. It's also frustrating and time-consuming for my office. We recently did an analysis and estimate that we spend over $100,000, maybe even $115,000 a year on personnel expenses doing drug authorizations for patients. We're not paid anything in return for our investment of that time and that uh, money and salary to take care of these drugs for patients. You might ask, why don't you stop prescribing these drugs if it costs you that much and you aren't reimbursed anything? Well, it'd be nice, but we wouldn't be a pituitary center if that was the case. You know, We have to advocate for our patients and aim to get them on the best drugs possible. And unfortunately, we spend that type of money just to get some of you folks on your medications. We're just as frustrated as you are, so don't call the office and complain. And you know, my, my basic thing is just understand that we're an advocate for you, the patient, and we want you on these medicines. That's why we selected them for you, and we will do anything and everything in our power to get you approved. Uh, but uh, take your frustrations out on your insurance company, write your insurance company, uh, directors, let them know how you feel, uh, advocate for yourself, and even let your employers know that the insurance companies are giving you a hard time getting uh, valuable medicines approved uh, for your health care. Now you might ask why uh, this problem, is it, is it really just the expense? Well, that's part of it. I think that's the motivating factor for insurance companies. Um, I remember a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, I was asked to uh, sit on a review board of physicians who would review uh, prescriptions for growth hormone for insurance companies. This was a company that had a group of doctors that review cases that are sent to them from insurance companies. And I felt sort of pleased to be asked to do that because I'm a big patient advocate. And I thought, well, it'd be nice to um, review those and make sure that people get the growth hormone if they need it. And when they were interviewing me and I, I shared that notion with them, they says, you don't understand. We need you to deny 80% of requests. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to work for you folks. That's not the way I see it. While I understand that some people may not really truly require a drug that's prescribed, I'm a patient advocate and if someone truly needs a drug, I'm probably going to recommend approval of that regardless of this 80% thing. And they says, well, that's the benchmark we're going to use. And I said, forget it. I don't want to work for you. Um, so uh, that's that's why I think this is mainly financially motivated and they're trying to save money, not expend the premium dollars that come in on health care, uh, but instead to be able to use it for their administrative costs, buying real estate art or whatever they do with their money. Back in the late 1990s, there was some uh, research that looked at the rising costs of the administrative practice of medicine. 
And they were looking at insurance companies and the, there's something called the loss ratio or some term like that. I don't remember exactly, but the loss ratio for an insurance company was about 20%. And what the true definition of the loss ratio was, the proportion of funds that come in through premium dollars that are actually spent on health care. So they were spending just 20% of premium dollars on health care. The other 80% was going to all sorts of other things. And I'm, I'm sure that included large uh, salaries and benefit programs for CEOs. Uh, but just sort of points to what's wrong with that system. Even though I think the insurance system's better than a government system for America in this day and age, there's a lot wrong with it and a lot that we need to fix. Part of the problem outside of the financial aspects is guidelines. Uh, Groups of physicians in this day and age like to get together to write guidelines, and they're often a self-appointed group of people who consider themselves to be expert and want to tell everybody else how to manage a case. So when they put in the guidelines, for example, let's talk about acromegaly, that a somatostatin analog is the first choice drug that's what the insurance companies are going to go by, and they're going to hold treating physicians to that, even though that somatostatin analog may be the wrong drug for the particular person. Um, and that's why I like some of the guidelines that will say that you can use any medical therapy first-line treatment, uh, but the insurance companies don't pay attention to those articles. They pay attention to the articles that support their practice of using the least expensive drug uh, to treat a patient. Uh, this whole interest in pharmacoeconomics has a, is a, been going on about 20 years now, but um, it's something that is leading to these difficulties. Uh, and I think the guidelines worsen uh, the matter because they're focusing on treating a population and not treating the individual. So this is a complex matter. Just remember that your physician is your advocate. They're trying to do the best of everything on your behalf in most cases. And certainly when it comes to these authorizations, we're expending a lot of behind the scenes effort and time to try to get your medications approved. Try to be patient uh, while we're waiting for these processes to, to occur organically or naturally. I tell patients with acromegaly, you've probably had this disorder five to 15 years, so another few weeks of a delay to get on a treatment isn't really gonna make a big difference in your life. I know we found it, you need the treatment, we wanna get you on it, but please be patient. Same thing is true of patients who take growth hormone, been growth hormone deficient for a long time, another week or month or so to get treatment started. Uh, Might seem like forever when you're the patient and you've had the diagnosis and know that there's a treatment that's going to make you feel better. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably uh, the best course to work with us, advocate for yourself, and work as a team to try to change things in the insurance industry uh, so that we can avoid some of these major delays that we're seeing, especially over the past year, uh, and getting patients on appropriate medications. Well, that's it for me. Once again, Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News. Have a wonderful day. Pituitary World News is working on an important initiative to provide information and perspectives on the many issues affecting access to orphan medications 
needed to treat pituitary diseases. This includes orphan drug and therapy development, insurance and specialty pharmacy issues, the role of the pharmacy benefits manager, patients' financial assistance programs, and other factors influencing costs and access. We believe there is an urgent need to simplify the overall process for patients and their prescribers to reduce the stressful situations that arise from the current system. We will be actively engaged and participate in generating proactive and creative solutions, and we very much hope to hear from you. Please tune in to our ongoing coverage of this ever-evolving complex, dynamic problem. Thank you for listening.